right? So yeah. for you right now, for like me, when I hear Ben Nadell, I think cold fusion. I think too many line breaks, lots of comments. Uh, this, is, this is me photos. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, videos of your dog humping stuff. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 167. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about personal brands. Should you have one? What are the pros? What are the cons? Going to get into that a little bit. But first, as usual, we'll start with our tramps and fails. It's Tim's turn to go first, I think, Tim. Mm-hmm. But before before we, I mean, she couldn't be here. Carol's not with us tonight. She's under the weather. So just setting expe- expectations. Let's lower the bar here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same without Carol. Yeah. So I got a triumph. You know, I talked, had a very emotional episode a few weeks ago talking about my mom well my mom's home now she's out out of the, the hospital after That's about news. Three, three weeks thank you and yeah so my mom is home from the hospital now and uh, she's doing personal therapy from home she has a someone coming every day to, to do uh, physical therapy with her and, but she's i mean she's getting along she you know she can't do much she can get up out of a chair and get in bed and go to the bathroom but that's things she definitely couldn't do three weeks ago so and hopefully, hopefully she keep pumping iron and get, you know, real swollen and, and uh, you know, start, nice. start bossing dad around. So you get to Ben to come down and be her, her yeah, trainer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She'll, tra- she'll train him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she's doing better. Thanks. So that's on the, on the personal front, but I, so at work the past, this past week, I've been working on SRGS, which is speech recognition grammar specification. It's a WC3, it's the web specification. Basically, it's it's for speech recognition, like when you call into a phone system and it. You know, that I has, hate. Yeah, I hate those too. Um, you know, we do a fair amount of business through IVRs, where we do drive payments through IVRs. So we try to encourage people to get them because there's still a, a subset of people that really just they want to call a phone number. They don't, you know, they don't want to download an app. They don't want to go to a website. They, they want to call a number, knowing that if they get stuck, they can talk to a human. And but I've always steered people away from doing speech recognition. I'm like, if we can just do it through punching numbers, it's a lot more accurate and less frustrating. Mm-hmm. But we have a customer who's just dead set that at least the policy number, you know, because this is for insurance, so that, you know, we have letters in our policy number, so we want them to be able to say it. I'm like, okay. I've been working on that. And, you know, I, I, figuring it out, it's it's XML-based, which is yucky. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is it's really hard to test. I can test the code, right? Code code parses that's about all I can really do and does an error, but it's like I have to physically call into a phone number. So I have a Google to Voice test. number. Yeah, I have a Google <laughs> Voice number, and I call in, and I'm like A B C one two three A J D four five nine. No, that's wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> Sneeze, cough. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes it's like you'll it will be perfect. You'll uh, figure out what letters and numbers I'm saying without issue. And then other times. It comes back. It is so wrong. I just I don't even know how it got so wrong, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't know why. What I've been reading is that the, the compression algorithm that they use to send the um, the voice capture across the phone line is so lossy mm-hmm. that it, that it's it's hard for these things to do. But you know, I've been on some of these phone systems. They do okay, but you know, I'm having 
a wide range of experience with this, and I don't I don't know why. So if anyone out there knows a better way to test a speech recognition grammar system, let me know. That that'd be very very grateful because I, I can't figure out a way to automate this. Sounds like a fun problem, except until you get to that point where like, okay, I've tried everything. It's still not good enough. And and I don't have a choice. I have to yeah. find a way. Yeah. And you're just banging your head against the wall for a while. Well, I'm having the customers send me all their policy numbers because they're like, you know, some start with the letter and some end with the letter. Like, well, I just want to see all of their numbers. Just send me all the policy numbers and I'll figure out. Because even if it's it's helpful, like let's say the policy letters are C, D, and E. Well, mm-hmm. I can eliminate from the specification that it, you're expecting to see the letter A and B. And that's mm-hmm. helpful because that increases what it does. It does a probability. Oh, I see. It does a probability and says this letter is it's probably 80%. I think that's, that's a B or you know 20% that it's a C. But if I eliminate that as an option, it goes, well, that has to be a B because there's, right. you know, there's no other option that's close to that. So I'm hoping that they have you know, just a few letters and I could knock out a bunch of those letters and, and a sort of, you can also do sort of a pattern match to say, expect a letter at the beginning and then some numbers and mm-hmm. then, or a letter at the end or a letter in the middle. And it's always going to be one of these two letters. If I could do right. that, I can probably get it to a higher degree of probability. So we'll see. M <clears> as <throat> in Mancy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then I have to do it in Spanish too. So I don't, and I don't speak Spanish, but I was playing with that today and, you know, saying uno, dos, tres, cuatro. I have to spell it out and tell it that it's Spanish. And it, that did okay. So, but I'm not a native Spanish speaker, so I don't know how well it will do with someone with a very strong accent. So mm-hmm. I speak like a gringo. So is the entire call tree outlined in one giant XML document with the, like all the options that get spoken? Or is this only for the the inputs? You can do it that way with the giant XML. I don't do it that way because I like to break it up. So you can basically have a form post. So you have a large piece of XML that just kind of describes all the possible options you're going to do in that one sort of node. And then once you do, once it figures out what you said or what you picked, I can basically do a form call to another page. So I have, basically I have sort of a, it's almost like a state machine. I have Mm -hmm. the state machine of the call and uh, with routes and events. And so each each prompt is going to generate an event that it goes to. And that event's going to figure out what's the next step in the state. So very cool. This totally random just popped in my head, but there's some, some article or paper written, you know, like decades ago, go to considered harmless, harmful. And it occurs to me that like so much of what we do is actually just sort of glorified go to statements. I mean, even just right. a, a web page, you know, clicking on links, submitting forms. You're, you're really just doing giant go-to calls, you know, hey, go from this page to that page, or a state machine is go from this state to that state. It's, it doesn't seem yeah. so fundamentally different to me. Yeah. I mean, we were we, before the show, we were watching the landing on the moon, the, what are they called? I am one. Yeah. So it, it reminded me, I mean, it sounds like, sounds like what we do for work. So they, they did a, a first <laughs> run around the moon, and it has this system that's supposed to like scan the landing area and find out... Uh, you know, automatically figure out which the best area to, to do. And it sounds like it were certain areas it wasn't getting imaging from. And so it had sort of an incomplete map. So they're like, no, we're not going to land. So it had, they, the programmers had the time that it took for it to go back around the moon. So a couple, that's why it was a they couple did one hours extra late. orbit. Yeah. They did one extra orbit and they're sitting there programming by the seat of their pants and, and uploading a patch to go to fix it. And they did, they fixed it. 
I was thinking about that when they were talking about it on the broadcast. They were like, you know, they they sent a patch, and I'm thinking, did they what did they call it an over the air update? There's no yeah. air. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the first bit of it in the in the atmosphere, there's some right. air, and then it's you know, that it's not. And then and then they land, and they're like, well, we're they're not getting, we're not, they weren't getting communications, and they, they yeah, it was a really weak that, signal, right? Really, so so basically, the the thing's programmed to if it doesn't get a signal, if it can't sense a signal, it will reboot all this. <laughs> so they're basically turning it off and on again. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to fix it, which I'm like, okay, well, it's it's rocket science, but it's not that much different from what we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just <a> classic <laughs> harder. <laughs> anyway, that's me. How about you, Adam? Oh, I'm gonna go with a big old triumph this week. Woo-hoo! Um, so I've been talking for a couple of weeks now about our the Drexel Co-op that we're participating in and the process, and it's still a little opaque to me. I don't really have a. a full grasp of like what the algorithm is on how it matches people or anything like that. But the, the good news is, you know, we, we went through the interview process. We kind of ranked the candidates in the order that we would prefer. Like, you know, this is our number one pick, our number two pick, et cetera. And, you know, we put that into the system. And then the next day I went and looked and we got our top pick. We got number one. Nice. Um, yeah. So we're, we're super excited. And I think I mentioned to you guys, I'm pretty sure it was on, on the podcast. Uh, the, there was one person that had a, like they, they made their background in Zoom, the alumni Q yeah, logo. Yeah. That was the person that we ended up hiring. It had nothing to do with the background, except that, you know, it was just like a good indicator that, you know, this guy knows how to have fun, right? You know, he's like a, he's not taking himself too seriously. He's, you know, trying to be creative, whatever. There's a, there's maybe a little teeny tiny bit of like a it factor thing coming from that. But otherwise, you know, it, it, we still would have picked him even without that, just based off of everything else, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, so we got him. I, I guess because he picked us as well. And it's like, I already got the background. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then also it's just been a good week. Same, not same anything, but also this week, my, this felt design system that I've been working on for like forever, just sort of between things is finally done to the point where I stopped giving new versions as like dash beta dot some number. And now it's version 0.0.1. And I'm actually starting to use it. Like I, we have an internal dashboard and I'm using it for that. So could cool. kind of say it's in production, in production for an internal only tool. Heck yeah. I, I actually, awesome. I'll wait to my triumph and then I'll, I'll ask you. Something. Okay. So I, I'm super excited about it. It's just been, it's been a pretty baller week. Great. <laughs> nice. When does this person start? April. Early April. I mean, I, I have a conversation with them on Monday to sort out details like first day, last day, a couple of other things. But because that's when the semester probably ends, because that's when Max gets out of college in April. That could be. Yeah, I believe the the official like way they describe this term for the co op is spring slash summer. So okay. yeah, I, I and I did find more information on the way that this co op program runs. So it is a there's there's two different ways that they do it. You can either do a four year degree program and you take one co-op in that or you can do the same you still get the same four-year degree but it takes you five years you do the same number of like credit hours but but the they're kind of interleaved more between three co-ops so you do three co-ops that way and i really love that that idea like just sounds like the perfect way to do college for our industry right like learn some fundamentals then go get a an entry-level job and kind of like start to mix Here's some classroom work. Here's some real work. Here's some classroom work. Here's some real work. Makes so much sense. Yeah. And, so. and do you, you obviously have to pay them, right? It's not an unpaid. I think, you don't I think we covered have this. have to. You don't have to. But they, one of the nice things is Drexel provides you 
some statistical information on based on major, right? So like we were looking specifically at computer science and software engineering majors. Those are two different Drexel majors. And they say, okay, for for this major, they give you like percentile breakdowns, right? So like 50% or more make this much or more, 75% or more make this much or more, 95% or more make this much or more, right? And so they, and it's like dollars per hour or whatever. And so and they do say you don't have to pay them. And I guess if the job is awesome enough, like if you're like, you, you get to be the guy who reboots the moon lander, mm-hmm. then maybe you don't, you don't pay for that. But if, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so we, we paid or we, we offered what we thought was uh, a pretty competitive salary. Like we were pretty darn near the high end of that competitive salary, you know, information that they gave us. And that's based off of, I think last year or maybe two years ago, salaries for the, okay. for the co-op. Super excited. And now, you know, now it's real, right? Like now I have to start actually putting real focused effort into brushing up on my mentoring skills and thinking about like, how am I going to be a manager of a person? Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> we're going to be doing onboarding and funnily enough and all this other stuff. So getting real, but I'm here for it. Very exciting. So, yeah, man. So that's it for me. How about you, Ben? I'm also going to go with the triumph. I'll round us out here with triumphs. Look at us. Yeah, I've I've done some learning. I've done some stepping outside the box, trying some new tech. I've, my strategy has been to go onto Udemy, which is an online educational system, and I got I got and watched courses for Alpine JS, which is a front end, like a small front end library, HTMX, which is a kind of a over the wire dynamic websites thing, like trying trying to create a responsive application without having to do so much JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And and then I did a course on Svelte.js. Like it's called like the complete guide to Svelte.js, uh, which That's was cool. actually a pretty tremendous course. It was really good. Maximilian Schwartz and something. I can't remember off the top of my head. Svelte.js is actually very interesting. There's some stuff about it that seems really nice, and some stuff about it that rubs me the wrong way. But you know, to each their <laughs> own. I'll tell you, coming from Angular, and this is. I think interesting to talk about in the context of a design system. One of the things that I always appreciated about Angular was that the component, the, the kind of the root component object or element is actually an element. Like if you, if you import a magic menu and then you render magic menu and you look at the source of the rendered page, you get a magic menu element. It's not like magic menu component doesn't randomly generate a div with some other rando class on it. Like you actually get an element with that tag name. And that was definitely one of my stumbling points. So I'm starting to dig into Svelte because you import a class. It's not really a class. It's like you, you import this magical Svelte component and you render it. And what you get as an output is whatever that component wants to render. It has nothing to do with what that element is kind of called on the, on the consuming side. Which became a problem when I wanted to say add margin bottom to an element, realizing that I don't actually have an element to attach a margin bottom to. Mm. And then when I go to pass a class into it, Svelte complains that there is no prop called class because I didn't expose a, a prop called class mm. on the on the component itself. And then you'd have to do that. And then I don't know, it just it, it felt very strange to have this layer of abstraction between the thing you're importing and the thing that actually gets rendered. 
And I'm curious to understand a little bit more about how that works with a design system because people must have to attach classes and, and, you know, on the fly CSS styles to, to a, a design, a design system widget. How, how do you go? How are you implementing something like that? I would love to dig into that, but that is a totally different yeah, show. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I sent you a link here in our uh, private uh, Discord channel for the, the, that we have, the secret one that yes. we're not going to mention on the show. So that's is that the, the that's, took, yeah. okay. I'm sorry to tell you, I think this might be somewhat outdated. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's like two years old or something. Yeah. It says last updated November, 2023. And it mentions Sapper, which was like, Right, that's basically that's thrown away and rewritten now, from right? scratch. Yeah, 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 well, they were just like, Sapper has too much technical debt. We want to go a totally different direction. We, they just literally threw it away and started from scratch. Yeah, so it's interesting. Part, you know, as I'm as I'm starting to explore other front end, back end technology strategies, uh, what I'm trying hard to do, which seems like it's actually a bit of an uphill battle here, is find a modern front end framework that is somewhat backend agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like especially the JavaScript-based ones are all very heavily tied to a specific backend implementation, whether it's mm. SvelteKit or, or Next or... Uh, I see where this is going. Uh, <laughs> you have, you have a, a, you have a pet favorite backend that you just want to keep. <laughs> I have something, you know, it's like I have something I'm already paying for. <laughs> I want to I, I wanna keep not paying more than I have to for as long as possible. I think you could get more resources for less money by by changing that out to something else. But maybe that's just my opinion. Maybe. But but you know, <laughs> and it's not just about it's not just about the particular technology that I happen to like. But there are so many backend technologies, whether it's that's you know, true. PHP, or Ruby, so actually, and and Java. Yeah, and, I, yeah. And I'm glad that we're kind of kind of going around on this. So you had mentioned HTMX, and I wanted to ask you. I know you have done some exploration into like Hotwire. And so now that you've been learning a little bit about HTMX, I have not touched HTMX. And when I like read a little bit about it or when I see other people talk about it, it reminds me of Hotwire. So can you contrast them? How are they different? So they're very much in line with each other. I would say HTMX is almost like a subset of what Hotwire is trying to do. Hotwire is a it's like four different things coming together at the same time, like a, like captain planet style, you know, our, our powers combined. <laughs> yeah. And so Hotwire is turbo turbo is an evolution. I think of something called turbo links and HTMX is, is most closely aligned with turbo, but then there's Hotwire also has stimulus, which is the kind of JavaScript attaching JavaScript behaviors to the, to the, browser, you know, the DOM. And so I think in HTMX, people will often use Alpine JS as their sort of stimulus alternative. And then there's some other stuff. There's, there's Wait a minute, hang on. You're, you're using words that I'm not familiar with. So when you say stimulus alternative, does that mean, so, does that mean that like you, you have to have something in addition to HTMX? You can't just use HTMX and... No, no, you can... JavaScript? The, so fundamentally, HTMX says, I want to make this network request and I want to take the response of that network request and put it in the page in some way. And oftentimes that is, instead of doing a full page refresh, let me take that response and just repopulate this one div or this one table or this one select box. Or like, let me take this part of the response and put it over here and another part of the response and put it over there. So it's kind of slicing and dicing 
HTTP responses, but it's it's very heavily focused just on that workflow, on the I'm making a request to the server and I'm getting response. On top of that, if you want to then start to make the front end a little bit more interactive that is not you know HTTP based, you'd have to sprinkle in JavaScript. And in the hotwire world, that sprinkling of JavaScript is typically done with stimulus. Mm-hmm. And in the HTMX world, it sounds like just from what I've seen, uh, you know, hearsay, anecdotally, that that the sprinkling of JavaScript is often done with Alpine JS, which right. is just another JavaScript framework. I see. So HTMX is not so much an interactivity re-rendering thing as it is just like jQuery dot load, effectively. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, 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 I don't want to talk out of turn here based on my understanding, but it's like a very very fancy version of jQuery load. Yeah, kind sure. of. Sure. And then if you wanted to do something a little more sophisticated, like a single page app in a little div or whatever, then you could drop in a little Angular app or a React app or something. Yeah, app yeah, yeah. A- a- exactly. Gotcha. And it seems that Alpine.js, which is, again, just a yet another JavaScript library framework, is, mm-hmm. is, is, is what that community seems to really like. Interesting. Because I always thought of Alpine as like a... Uh, as the the sort of baseline, like if you wanted to do, we talked previously about like islands architecture, yeah. right? I have I have a ninety percent static application, and then it's just got this one interactive thing in it, and so you might use Alpine for that because it gives you like a nice static web server plus a way to easily drop in just a, a little Node app or whatever, or a whatever you know React or whatever app in that div. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my understanding of Alpine is fairly limited still, but it's basically you say, hey, any DOM element that has this data attribute, it, it gets bound to this Alpine.js class, more or less. I mean, it's not really a class. It's like just a reactive object, mm-hmm. a fancy object, and then you can do things. But it, it has some cool stuff. Like It has some templating and, and repeaters, and, and it's interesting. Would you, would you call HTMX... A, a micro framework? I, I guess so. It's very... Size doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you... it, it's very focused in what it's trying to do. And I think it is very... It doesn't have a lot of opinions about how you want to do anything else. So I, I think it is fairly micro in that respect. Because I was reading the other day about one called HTMZ. Mm. I heard about a, this, yeah. Which is, I think it was on TLDR. It's a minimalist... HTML framework that's just it look I mean it looks stupid simple uh, doing stuff that I used to have to do with jQuery I'm like oh that's pretty cool but I mean I didn't do anything other than look at it my the one of the things that I'm finding frustrating in my exploration is I I, I keep wanting to better understand how to more holistically think about CSS organization and how do I get reusable things and and how do I best annotate my html to use those css classes effectively and it just seems like over and over again people people sort of sidestep that problem by just using tailwind it's like mm-hmm. yeah yeah we just use tailwind so we don't have to deal with that and i'm like ah, i feel like that's not really an answer <laughs> that's like then i could just keep that that's as good as me saying i'll just keep doing what i'm doing today and right. not having something maybe more robust not i i'm i don't that is not a, a diss, a dunk on, on Tailwind. I've never used Tailwind other than to say, if I'm going to have a lot of CSS classes in my markup, like I could just have regular classes in my markup and it, I don't think it would be 
fundamentally all that different. Uh, you know, as opposed to something like Svelte, where I have a style block and it's inside my component and it is automatically scoped my component. Like it's, it's really the automatic scoping. Like how do you get automatic scoping without having like a ground up? I have to believe in this one particular framework and maybe you just can't, maybe that's the, maybe that's the problem is you just, there isn't like a nice halfway point. Well, yeah, I mean, it it depends a lot on your stack, right? So we talked about, you know, where I, I, the very first thing that I put into production was felt was like, I built the, like a, a modal dialogue that has right. a lot of complex functionality built into it. And that I built that was felt. And then it is injected into an application that is heavily, you know, server side, you know, like post back style for the .NET folks, you know, submit the page form post and you get a page back. And then we sort of try to make that page fairly dynamic using a lot of jQuery, right? And then I took that page and okay, here's a modal window. Here's this felt app that you run in that modal window. And you're right that it's a a little bit of a mind messer (laughs) to try and use polite words here. Um, It, it, the, you kind of like have to draw a box using the outside, you know, whatever the, the baseline application is using for styling. Like, okay, here's my rectangle. And inside that rectangle, Svelte is going to take over. And it's, it is right. weird. It, it is very cool, though, that there isn't really a Svelte app so, so much as there is just, here's a component. I'm mm-hmm. going to treat this as my quote-unquote root component, and I want you to yep. target this div on the page. And if you want to target multiple divs with multiple root elements, we don't care. Like that's, that's totally fine. And, and that, and that is kind of cool. Cause I can definitely see you being able to um, baby step an application into a more robust architecture by just slowly targeting almost more of the, of the rendered page with spelt elements. It would lend itself well to like a strangler pattern type of approach yeah. of trying to now, I mean, think about how to, this is all, Svelte itself is born out of the New York Times, right? So it was right. created by Rich Harris, who worked at the New York Times at the time. And he was making interactive animations and stuff to to show off, you know, like the Olympics, you know, the, the swimming, you'd see little animations of people swimming and it would be like to scale or whatever, right? You'd see like the, the swimmers going across the pool and it would, the, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. it wouldn't just be like a random animation. It would be like, okay, lane four is, you know, is Michael Phelps or whoever, and he's got the right amount of lead. It's like, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all based on real data. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, and it's just an animation dropped into the middle of a news article. Like you don't want to take over the whole page. You just want that one little island of interactivity. Yeah. Uh, Although I'll tell you, this is one of those things where it's just you, you learn it one way and then you don't necessarily know that there's a different approach. So in this complete Svelte.js guide that I took on Udemy, he was talking about how in order to make complex objects and arrays reactive, you have to jump through all the hoops that you do in React where you don't just push and pop things from arrays. You have to, you have to like spread arrays into other arrays and then add new items or remove new items. And it's just, it was getting very complex. And then I was watching this interview with Rich Harris and he's talking about his philosophies to Svelte and, and how, why he's excited about Svelte 5, which I guess is coming out soon. Yep. And one of the things he was talking about was how the assignment operator 
is what triggers Svelte's reactivity. And he brings up, oh yeah, objects and arrays can't be classically reactive with their push and, and, and pop because there's not, an, there's not an assignment. He's like, so what a lot of people will do in their code is they'll do the non-reactive push and pop and stuff. And then below that, they'll just set object equal to object. Mm-hmm. Like to do is equals to to do's. And he says, all that's there is to tell Svelte, hey, I just overwrote this variable. Please re-render it. And I'm like, oh, that's so much easier <laughs> than what they were doing in this course. That's all I had to know. It's just a hack yeah. I have to get around. I'm super excited for Svelte 5 and runes. I don't know how much you've learned about that stuff, but I, I looked up runes like two hours before this podcast. So I don't okay. know that much uh, about it. I'll send you a video like the it's a real short like maybe 10 15 minute video easy to watch on like 1.5x and it's you know it's got some humor it, you know it, easy watch and and informative but also it's going to get you hyped for how Svelte is going to get even better. I I mean so I I skimmed one article that that talked about a number of the runes and I don't even know if I could tell you what a rune was only only to say that I get I get a little like my spidey sense tingles a little bit whenever I see having to wrap objects inside of other stuff in order to make things happen. And the only reason that gets up my, my hackles a little bit is, is cause in angular JS and the angular and, and even angular, I feel like is going down this path as well, where they're doing signals to, to make mm-hmm. reactive state. Angular JS was such a simple mental model where basically you just mm-hmm. did whatever you want. And then angular said, Hey, we'll just reconcile that with the Dom every time. And, and it had limitations, definitely. And if you're working with a lot of data, which, you know, you could argue is maybe not a great UX anyway, it had some performance issues, but it was just so easy to reason about because there was no magic. The magic was brute force. Like that's what made it so <laughs> exciting. And, and I, and I just get a little apprehensive that stuff is becoming too clever. And with that cleverness, it, we're starting to have to take on a lot of syntactic. Not cruft is not the right word, but like more ceremony. I hear you. I think well, so that it sounds like the video that you're you described that you watched was it was an interview. He talked about how he's excited for Svelte Five. So I'm pretty sure I, I know which one you're talking about. And it was long. It was in like that an hour and a half long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that interview, though, he he mentions that they looked at like something like 50 different possible implementations of like what eventually became runes and they just like tried a bunch of different things and threw it out because they were like this isn't good enough we don't like it you know it just doesn't feel right and when they landed on the implementation that they're gonna go with they were like okay this is this is the one so it it is really cool i mean you know like the fact that you just export a variable and it becomes a a prop that you can assign i mean that's so simple and clean and that's going away Oh, it's going away. Uh. <laughs> it's going to be different. It's going to be different <laughs> in Spotify. I mean, it was just in terms of how do you how do you make something that is easy enough to reason about and also very clever and and yeah. But then on the flip side of that, I I, I built some building something in Spell, just kind of a simple. Let me learn about Spell. And at one point, I had to. I'm like, how do I know if a property binding has changed? Like the the thing that's getting passed and changed. I started to Google for it. And like, there's no one way to do it. People are like, oh, you can just create a reactive block, you know, the dollar sign colon and just mm-hmm. do open curly brace, close curly brace and everything inside that will get rerun whenever it has to. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's weird. That's not really what I'm trying to do. So you know, it, it starts to feel very like this works so you're looking for like a life cycle method because an incoming prop 
value changed or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think even so Angular, you know, I'm coming from an Angular background. So Angular has a, a basically an on changes lifecycle hook. And I think custom elements have like an attribute value changed kind of a hook. Re- you know, React has like props will change or something. I, I, I don't do React very much. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's been a while. Yeah. Thankfully. So Svelte, I, it, it I, felt I, very I, much like Svelte was like, nah. Component will receive props. That's what yeah, 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 yeah. Svelte's like, put it in a reactive statement and you'll learn about it eventually. Oh. <laughs> uh. Okay, we are well yeah, into yeah, the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I blame you, Ben. You mentioned Svelte. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Tim. I know Tim has not had a lot of Svelte insight here. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's move on to our topic for the day. Personal brands. And I think as the, the person with the largest X following on the podcast, <laughs> we're going to have to defer to you, Ben. No, I mean, let's, let's, let's break that down a little bit, actually. So, you know, you've been writing your blog for a million years. You have been sharing content consistently on your blog and on Twitter for Twitter X, whatever, for forever. And, and, you know, when you do that, when you are that consistent about it, I think, you know, most people would agree that the numbers are probably, unless you're terrible at it, the numbers are going to go up. Whether, you know, just how fast they're going to hockey stick up is, is a function of how good you are at it and how lucky you get, I guess. But well, if if I can just jump in for a second and and go ahead. uh, So, you know, I do think of myself as having a brand for sure, but I think if I can just take a step back, I think everyone has a brand. The question isn't, do you have a brand? It's how much do you care about that brand? It's like, it's like when people say, not making a choice is making a choice. Yeah, like you have, everyone's making it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the reason I think it's maybe important to think about for a second is I can't tell you how many times I have tried to look someone up online, you know, like I'll meet someone mm-hmm. or, or like I'll have a physician and I want to look them up online. And it's just like, it, it, it's just a black hole. It's just nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how does this person not exist in the digital world in any way whatsoever? And, you know, that, that's, that is a brand. You've chosen to some degree that that is your representation in the world. And that's totally legitimate. I'm not, I'm not pooping on that. I'm just saying that we all have a brand and it's not just about Twitter and, and Twitch and, and TikTok. It's just how we interface with the world in general. I mean, bef- before we had called it brand, you know, we had professional reputation. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone has a reputation, good or bad. Everyone has a reputation. Maybe reputation is for not being very well known. I mean, that's 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 fair. But I'll say, I'm going to talk about your early days, Ben. When when I, when I first yeah, met yeah. you, Kinky it, Solutions, Ben. Yeah, Kinky Solutions is, is what your blog was called. And, and was that really, I mean, was that sort of, was that sort of persona you were trying to put out there? Cause when I met you, I totally, and I've said this before, like early in the days of the podcast, I'm like, I expected you to be this muscular and you were, but like rough, tough, beer swilling, womanizing code, bro, code, bro, (laughs) just complete jock. And just because that, that you're, 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 you know, some of your examples were a little bit sexist. And, uh, and then I met you and you were like the most retiring, sweet, sh- shy guy who's just, you know, scared, scared of everything. <laughs> teddy bear. <laughs> and, but just super, super nice teddy bear. You just want to give him a hug. I'm like, you know, was that, a, was, was that like, that was, you were trying to project or just. 
I, I don't think I was ever trying to project anything. It was more like I was just trying to have fun. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I, I, I was, my intention was never to have fun at anyone else's expense. It, it came across that way and that's very unfortunate. And I've moved away from that. Yeah. And you've apologized. If you will. Yeah. And I've, I've yeah, not yet. It that. was naive and yeah. we're all yeah. naive for in yeah. various ways for uh, a while. Oh man. I look back just at, at decisions I've made in my life and I feel like I didn't start making good decisions until I was easily in my thirties. <laughs> there, like there's just so many things I look back and, and shake my head and be like, oh, what a, what a just a poor decision to have made at the time. And the crazy thing is, is I, I do think like I'm actually one of the good ones, you know, like there are people who you make are. much worse decisions that I have. And I feel shame for a lot of the things that I've, I, I've, you know, the paths I've gone down. But yeah, I, I think I just, I loved programming and I still love programming and it just added a little spice to it. I mean, it's not the right word, but like, I was just, I was, I was so enamored with programming and sharing and talking about programming and it, and it, yeah. you know, and I was a young man and it just sort of <laughs> like, it was like a, you know, a two-way win. How do I include other things that I think are fun and exciting? <laughs> so, so I think for better or worse that, you know, a person's personal brand is what people think of in general, like as a rule of thumb, when they hear your name, right? So yeah. For you right now, for like me, when I hear Ben Nadell, I think Cold Fusion. I think too many line breaks, lots of comments. Uh, this, this is me photos. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, videos of your dog humping stuff um, and never ending content, right? It's, it's like there's always something every week, it feels like from you, whether, whether it's tips on, Twitter or blog posts or this podcast or whatever, like it's, it's, you are always doing something and I admire that about you, but like, that's just what I think of. Right. And so I I think for me that that is what a personal brand is. Right. And just like for Tim, I think that the way that Tim has branded himself or, or been branded one, one way or the (laughs) other is he's the guy that looks like Dr. Who or, or used to show up to conferences dressed up in a, in a suit. Yeah. And that, that was intentional, right? You go to a nerd conference and everyone's, you know, just wearing their sweatshirts and everything. And like, I'm like, if I go in a suit, I'm going to stand. It's like people, they, they might not even talk to me. Be like, who's the dude in the suit? Yeah. Particularly when I was speaking, I always wore, sometimes I would get casual, you know, later in the evening. But whenever I was speaking at conferences, I always wore a suit. And it, it, just, it got a lot of attention. So that, so that was, is that who I am in real life? No. Was that <laughs> like a piece it. of advice you took from Half-Baked? <laughs> Half, like, I don't ever watch half Oh, wow. You, you should. Yeah. It's a stoner movie. Oh. Uh, yeah. Dave Chappelle. Pretty good stuff. Anyway. But ahead. I mean, yeah, my, you know, my family, we did, we did cosplay and I had a really nice Doctor Who suit before I, my belly got too big and I couldn't fit in it anymore. <laughs> so I uh, sorry, whether some people don't even know who Doctor Who was and they're like, oh, it's a cool suit. Interesting. Um, brown suit with bright blue pinstripes. Okay. But I was memorable. And that was kind of the main thing I wanted to do is just, just to be memorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it worked. But I don't really care about that anymore. As, as I've gotten older, it's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I really don't. It's funny. I, I spent years, not, I won't, not even close to obsessing about my personal brand, but it was just a thing that I was like aware of, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was super proud for, this was back in the days of like when I, my blog was called Fusion Crocker and I was all about mm-hmm. Fusion. So, you know, 
a long, long time ago. And, you know, I was super proud of the fact that like when you Googled Adam Tuttle, I was like the first five results on Google, something yeah. like that. It was like my LinkedIn, my blog, my Twitter, you know, a bunch of other stuff, whatever. And now I think if you Google it, I might be on the first page. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I have, I'm just at a different place in life now, right? Like you got kids for me then, that, yeah. And that has been a big part of it. But I think that my, it, it has a lot to do with my career, right? Like at that point in my career, I was looking for upward movement. I, and my yeah. current point, I'm looking for stability, right? I yeah. like where I am. And as long as my job continues to get better, continue to be challenging and, and, you know, that sort of thing, then, then I am not interested in moving. And, and I think Whoa. that because I don't have an interest in moving, I don't have an interest. I have no vested interest in being, um, cultivating this brand known. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, brands are tough because you you formulate a brand or you you know conspire to have a brand and then in in some ways you become uh, uh subservient to that brand and that brand mm -hmm. begins instead of you thinking what can i do to help my brand you start to think about what do i have to do yep. to keep my brand and i i definitely feel that way and not in a bad way but it's it, so, so I, I talked about Svelte. I've been, I took the Svelte course. I built mm -hmm. a little thing in Svelte to help me learn about it. And I could leave it at that. I could have built this thing. No one can ever know about it. And life would go on and I could move on to other stuff. But I feel compelled to write about it mm -hmm. and post about it. And, and part of that is because I know that doing that will help cement it in my mind. Like it's not, I, there is still part of me that is virtuous and, and doing something just for the love of it. But there is absolutely a hundred percent a part of me that thinks I need to write about this so that I can begin to at least cultivate the spark of a, oh, Ben knows some stuff about Svelte in mm -hmm. the public persona. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, you know, I don't know if that's the best use of my time, but I feel compelled to do that. That's a good way to learn. I mean, to, to teach is to learn twice, they say. So oh, I like that. I haven't heard that one before. I don't you haven't know. heard that? Yeah. Classy. When, you, when you're learning for yourself, it's one thing. But when you're learning to try to explain to someone else, it's a completely different thing. And I think it's why you're so able to talk about, you guys are sitting there talking about Svelte, and I was like, it was way over my head. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't even know how they're remembering these terms. But, you know. Well, so here, here's one thing that I've been thinking about recently, because... I run a blog and a blog is very much a, you come to me, I don't go to you kind of a thing. You know, like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm writing it for myself. And, and when I say for myself, that is as much for my own learning as it is for the building up of my personal brand, but it is for me at the end of the day. Nowadays, there's become this growing movement towards newsletters and Substack, and, and, and that is very much a, like, I am now pushing out to you. I write stuff and you subscribe and or pay for it. And now it's it's not just a personal brand, it's a product. Yeah. And and it's it's almost like the blog is like someone, you know, walking up to your house, knocking on the door, and you're like, Yeah, come on in. But but it's but a newsletter is like you showing up at their place going, Here, take this, yeah, take yeah. this literature. Have you, take this have literature. You heard the good news. <laughs> and I don't know. I and I part of me has a an insecurity about that. You know, there is a safety in having people come to you because you can always say, well, it doesn't matter if people don't like what I'm writing because I'm writing for me predominantly and people who like it will come and, and people who don't like it 
well, you know, they'll ignore me and that's fine. And there's a very, there's a safety in that. But the second that you're now pushing information to people purposefully, I feel like you have to start chasing, chasing those clicks. You know, I can't write an article if, you know, I'm just trying to put myself in the Substack mind space. I can't write an article because it just happens to be something I, I, I happened upon. I thought it was very interesting. Let me write this up. Like you have to now start to take your audience into account. And that's a very, that's a right. bold move. Yeah. But it's also a financial move. Maybe yeah, there's yeah, yeah. money to be made for having that subscription list. Oh no, hundred percent. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's bad to have a Substack or, or right. a paid subscription or, or a newsletter in general. I'm, I'm just saying it's a, you, you have, you have explicitly moved out of the personal brand arena and you've stepped into the product arena and right personality as a product yeah or not personality but like my output is a product that you right. are yeah and that's just a very different mindset you know if i'm right when i was writing my book and i didn't have much blogging to do for like three months if you're doing that for yourself it's not a problem but if you mm-hmm. have people who are paying you to write and release a weekly newsletter you can't just disappear off the face of the earth for three months that's that's just not a thing I assume I don't, I don't actually subscribe to anything brand stuff. So it strikes me that we haven't mentioned, I guess somebody mentioned it a minute or two ago. And that's when you think of it, marketing, you know, marketing is a word that comes to mind pretty quickly when you start talking about the word branding or a brand. Mm -hmm. But I think we're hesitant to talk about personal branding as marketing ourselves, but really that's what it is, right? Like, you know, I was doing some people. "Mm, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So your, your thing about suits, like that's, that makes you memorable. Right. But doesn't necessarily get you an in somewhere, right? Like that, that just, yeah. that's awareness. I mean, I think, I think if people who are influencers, they definitely, they're marketing hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. They might not be anything like what they're, what they're, what they say or do. It's all an act. It's all completely fake. But you know, I, I think for most I, technical people, we, we're pushing information and yeah. knowledge and I think there's a little less of the marketing side of it. But I think that it's a useful thing to think about. If you if you yeah. are interested, in, like if you're if you're hungry, if you're trying to get a, a better job, if you're trying to find that upward mobility, like think about that, right? Like you market yourself, you know, by improving your community's awareness of you and what you have to offer, you are building a personal brand and that brand itself can help you get a better job. Like for me, I'll, I'll give a very concrete example. I spent years and years blogging about cold fusion stuff. I, for a while became somehow people started calling me the king of mango blog because I released like 20 different <laughs> plugins for mango blog because I, no I was like, Hey, cool. A, a new CFML blogging engine. That's not blog CFC. Sorry, Ray. And I was like, let me, <laughs> let me check this out. It's cool. It's different. So I did. And it's like, okay, well, it'd be nice if it had this. So I wrote a plugin that did that. It had a really good plugin system. So I was like, oh, oh, let me write a plugin that does this. Let me write a plugin that does that. And I just started releasing new plugins and I had like 20 of them. And so people started calling me the king of Mango Blog. And I was like, wow, I've not thought of Mango Blog in a long time. Holy smokes. <laughs> it was, it was fine, whatever. But like, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I spent some time as a, an Adobe community professional, which I think is like, you know, Google developer expert or whatever. Like there's just these, company programs where they give you a free license to something in exchange for you giving them a bunch of your time to be Mm -hmm. a beta tester basically and as as a sort of a i guess i'll say indirect result of all of that you know because i was on twitter talking about stuff a lot and i was constantly writing on my blog 
people were aware of me and I ended up getting a job at the University of Pennsylvania because, if, and I, it was weird that I kind of heard this conversation kind of didn't, or, or it was like a, a, a conversation that I was like, I don't even know how to describe it, right? I got hired and I was just like, it was a little small social circle of a couple of people. And they were like, you know, one of them was like, yeah, and so we hired Adam. And and so now there's no more Cold Fusion developers in the area. Like they just, they knew <laughs> that I was there and that I was a Cold Fusion expert and and I was local. Like, okay, snap him up because he, you know, obviously can do this. And, and so like, that's the kind of situation you can put yourself in. And I mean, obviously if you're, if you're drowning in people that have the same skills as you, then it's uh, a little harder to stand out. But, you know, uh, this is circling back on that topic to something that I had mentioned before, which is how many times I've tried to look people up online and they just don't seem to exist anywhere. And mm-hmm. not to be Sometimes judgy, that's, choice. that's, yeah. Like it, how many people, it feels it's, weird it's becoming me. really popular now for people to be like, no, I don't have a Facebook account. That's fine. But, but if you, if you don't have a GitHub profile or a LinkedIn profile, or something, something that just says you exist in this world. I don't, I don't know. It feels, it feels very weird to me. And it, and it could just be that you don't go by, you know, John Smith, you go by like cat blaster 5,000, right? And it's just like, <laughs> I didn't know to look that up because that's the name you've been using since AOL right. instant messenger. And that's, and you know, <laughs> that's something, but it does seem there are so many ways to have a zero effort online presence, whether it's just like an about me site or, you know, it doesn't cost any money to have a LinkedIn profile or anything. It just feels weird to me when people seem to not exist online at all. It feels like a weird brand choice, you know, going back to the idea of personal I, I w- brand. I would imagine a lot of women who work in maybe I, tech I can or hundred percent understand yeah, women not wanting that's to very, be online. It's a sure. little scary to put, you know, put all that information out there because they get treated a whole lot different online than we do. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, so I, I, I mean, I think you, if you were looking for somebody who was going to help you disappear, like if you wanted to do like, you know, citizens witness protection program, right? Like you just wanted to disappear, move to a different town, be a, a new person. You would want somebody who you couldn't find online, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be the one that, that knows how to, to actually disappear you. Cousin Jedediah in Amish town. Let's go. I, th- I think the reality is having a brand helps you, you know, assuming it's a good brand and not a <laughs> tarnished brand. Yeah. I, I think it your, helps. your brand is you're that that <laughs> yeah. ruins all the forum posts. You know, I think it's just human nature that if you have a group of people to choose from and you have a couple of people that you've never heard their name before and one person where maybe all you've done is heard their name once. Human nature, I think, is just going to be like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go with this guy. I've heard his name before. Yeah, having you, it, it, you know, and I think there's there's something there's something very real about that. It's the modern equivalent of it's it's not what you know, it's who, who you, you know. know. And yeah. so if they, you know, in this day and age where everyone has their own pulpit that they can preach from on X or a blog or Facebook, it's like, yeah, if if you get known, they like I know the guy. I've read some of his stuff. He's really smart. I enjoy that. You know, that's the same thing. They know you. Or they think and they know you. So yeah, you get the what is it called the halo effect, where if you do yeah. something good, then people just assume that that good stuff sort of transfers over into other things. Yeah. Well, it's like when I had the I had a short for a few years. I had a blog and I, I did a lot of writing about a SQL Server and Deadlock. You know, I had several people. I think 
I got a job, not a, a contract from the the Masters tournament for the PGA to help them with some problems they were having. Nice. It's like I probably, you know, what I learned, I learned from other people. I definitely was not the SQL expert, but I, I had a lot of experience with it, and so I I was able to help them. But it's like, you know, why they came to me? Well, they found a blog, and they, there's probably a lot more smarter people they could have talked to, but they chose me because they read about it and believed it. So absolutely. So maybe maybe to close, just to say that you have a brand. Period. That's not a choice. The, the what choice, you choose to do with it is up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, then this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Adam's Life Relocation Service. You've never heard of us, and that's how good we are. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners like you. If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording, editing, and transcription costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. You guys rock. I have no idea what we're going to talk about on the after show. Does anybody have uh, a topic you wanted to cover? I've been hearing a couple of podcasts lately talk, make reference to some recent studies that co-pilot is actually problematic. Like they're finding that code maintenance is becoming harder and, and code duplication mm. is becoming more prevalent. I don't know if anyone has. I've, yeah, I've read the same thing. I'd, I'd okay, be curious well, to know a little bit more about that if anyone yeah, has let, anything. Let's, we'll dive into that in the after show. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, after show is the outro is going to play. Uh, but for patrons, after the outro plays, we just keep talking. And sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's another half hour. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, and we just, you know, whatever's on our minds. Sometimes it's TV, sometimes it's more tech. You never know. But the patrons of the show financially support us, help keep this, keep the lights on and the mics running, rolling. And if you want to do that, if you want to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod. And the after show is one of the perks that you get. In addition to that, you get uh, special patron only channels on our Discord and a couple of other things. So that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember your heart matters. So keep loving your own brand. <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to working code with your hosts adam ben carol and tim if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and review on your preferred podcast listening platform we really appreciate that effort we'll catch you on the next episode of working code